Want my help getting a robotics automation or tech career at a Fortune 500 company or innovative startup so that you can finally level up your earnings, work on the coolest projects ever, and have practically unlimited earning potential for the rest of your career? Listen up. My robotics mentorship program is officially open. This is a 90-day career intensive where we get crystal clear on your dream robotics job reinvent your professional brand, and fill in the technical gaps so that you can get a six-figure-plus career at the hottest companies on the planet. If you're interested, go to learnrobotics.org podcast to sign up. We'll text a bit to see if you're a fit and then get you registered if it makes sense. Again, go to learnrobotics.org podcast. Now on to today's episode. What's going on? I'm Liz from Learn Robotics, and welcome to this episode of Learn Robotics with Liz, the show where I talk all things robotics and tech from the perspective of an engineer and share my thoughts on what I think you can do to learn more about tech and ultimately learn robotics. Stay tuned. We have an awesome episode for you here today. If you're watching on YouTube, consider subscribing to my channel or subscribing to the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Ready? Let's get to it. Today, I had the awesome pleasure of chatting with my friend and former colleague, Aaron Lee. He is a mechanical engineer working in manufacturing engineering today, and we decided to put together three current events on various subjects and talk a little bit more about what our thoughts are for the future, where we see these areas going. We're going to be looking at semiconductors and manufacturing in the United States, electric vehicles, and the metaverse. So stay tuned. We have episode two for you of Learn Robotics with Liz starting now. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for coming on my show. Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself so that everyone can learn who you are and your ties to engineering? Sure. I'm a by trade manufacturing engineer for the last almost seven years now, specifically in aerospace, um, studied mechanical engineering. So I'd like to think I'm somewhat tech savvy. We'll, we'll find out today, I suppose, and go from there. So mechanical engineering, now you're in manufacturing engineering. What made you make that kind of like transition? For me personally, I think uh, manufacturing got me off uh, away from the desk and, and towards working with people. And that's what I enjoy on my feet. I spend, you know, most of the time on the shop floor. So it's, it's quite rewarding, quite enjoyable. There's a lot of, you know, face-to-face interaction, which I find still in this remote day and age, uh, rewarding and valuable. Were so. things like a lot different during COVID? Um, you know, at first nobody, nobody really knew what was going on. Everyone's super concerned about going to work. Um, but, as an ME or manufacturing engineer, I've been going in every single day. So, you know, at one point we were like remote slash hybrid for like a couple of weeks, but then they realized, okay, if we just wear masks and sanitize and do contact tracing, we should be okay. And it's, it seemed to have worked out so well. And uh, so far, so well, two of the companies that I've been at. So, awesome. Whereas, yeah, most of the other departments were, were remote or hybrid as well. So. Yeah, it's been almost two, three years since I've been involved in like factory operations. Um, Just as a quick aside, Aaron and I used to work together um, in manufacturing engineering. So um, it's kind of 
Is it kind of the same or do you think it's it's transformed since we were working together with how manufacturing is done like post COVID, I guess? Um, I think it's pretty much the same, to be honest. I don't think there's been too many major changes, believe it or not. I mean, aside from a couple temperature checks or, you know, requirements to wear masks or some companies are moving towards, you know, vaccine mandates. But beyond that, I think it's more or less the same. So. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I know a lot of people that I've talked to are concerned about that particular piece and how things have changed and how um, there's now more paperwork and more requirements. But for the most part, I guess if you can look past that, it's probably probably pretty much the same stuff, different day. Yeah, I'd say. I mean, I think that in itself is going to cause a challenge to some people. It really depends on the perspective and their reasons behind it. You know, inflexibility can, can lead to other issues, but we'll kind of leave that at that. Yeah, for sure. So you picked out three cool articles. We'll just go through the structure of the show will be um, three current events in engineering, technology, robotics. We're going to read the headlines. We'll talk a little bit about what the article is. I will leave a link to all of the articles in the show notes. So if you want to go and check out the articles and read them for yourselves, this is just going to be kind of a commentary of our perspective on the technology, the current event, where we see this like fitting into the bigger picture. And I guess we can just go ahead and start with article number one. This one is titled, How Asia Came to Dominate Chipmaking and What the U.S. Wants to Do About It. So this was published in April this past year, but I think it's pretty relevant to today's perspective. Um, it's from CNBC. And so pretty much there's like three keynotes. So Taiwan's TSMC, which is their main chipmaking company, and South Korea's Samsung Electronics control more than 70% of the semiconductor manufacturing market. The second bullet is a global semiconductor shortage and tensions with China bolstered U.S. scrutiny of the supply chain and created a drive to regain leadership. And the third bullet is under President Joe Biden, the U.S. is looking to bring manufacturing back to American soil and reduce reliance on a handful of chip makers. So I think those are the main keynotes. And essentially, like for, for those who may not follow specifically the semiconductor industry, but pretty much everything has a semiconductor from whether it be your coffee maker to your TV, to your cell phone, to your car. And due to an increase in um, consumer demand and also a uh, unforeseeable change in the auto industry, like for the two first two months of COVID, I, I think we're pretty far behind to say the least. So that's more or less the gist of the semiconductor health of the industry, if you will. Yeah, no, I think um, that's a good point. I think in some of the more recent days, like if you've ever tried to buy a, a car, first of all, if you've tried to buy a car or you've tried to buy appliances or you've tried to get anything that requires a chip, then you've probably seen some delays or you've probably had some difficulties getting them. And I think this article kind of is talking about what is going on and like why this matters um, with advancing technology becomes this increase in need for the actual hardware components that run the technology and trying to figure out how do we shift, you know, producing those chips back to the U.S. or increase production of that so that we can even out that supply chain disruption. 
my personal thoughts, uh, good luck, because I think it's going to take a lot of resources and a lot of time to get that back here. Um, I don't know if we, from an economic standpoint, could even match the pricing of how it's being produced in China right now. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, I think that's just where we stand um, in terms of like, if I think about like designing like a PCB and manufacturing it, creating all the drawings for it, and then wrapping up the bundle of files and trying to get somebody to manufacture that in the US, I think we have a lot of work to do um, in oh. terms of making it cost-effective, making it um, streamlined in a way that we can produce pretty much whatever industries needs. That's just, that's just my view of it. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done to even come close to getting it back to the level of what we need to meet demand. Yeah, 110%. So I guess the article does explain a little more you know, about some of the funding and some of the ongoing efforts to bring it back. And in, in short, um, there's like, a, I think a government grant or government, government money is essentially going towards this. And um, outside the article, it doesn't mention it in the article, but uh, to my knowledge, TSMC is actually building a, I think, $20 billion plant in Arizona, and it's it's staggering, the amount and the size that they're spending on this. Um, I think their water consumption is supposed to be 4.7 million gallons per day, and then they do have a plan to recycle like 90% of the water, but it's still it's still an enormous plant, and it's, uh, I think, definitely a big project. They're building essentially some of the larger semiconductors. Some more technical ones are still going to remain in Taiwan, but it's essentially a copy of their plant from them. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, I heard about another one, and this might just be um, like full integration PCB setup shops somewhere in Texas. I want to say Austin. I heard something like that recently. I just don't know how they're going to, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to make money on it, truthfully. Um with wages increasing here, with even just raw material pricing, where like you could have a facility, you could throw money at it, but you still need supplies to do it, supplies to make it. And how, you know, I, I think we're gonna end up seeing like if it's a US ship, I think the price is end up is gonna end up going up. That's just my personal thought. Yeah, I think either the price will go up or the profitability will go down. Or I think the third scenario alternative would be a focus on robotics, automation, and driving costs down. And that's kind of why I picked that article because I feel like, in general, you know, all of manufacturing is moving towards automation and robotics. And I thought it'd be somewhat relevant from at least your perspective. And I definitely think that's kind of the future, right? In order to stay competitive, Regardless of wherever the manufacturing is, we have to, you know, look at headcount. We have to look at also the number of people who want to be in manufacturing. That's not, I don't think, something that everyone grows up saying, "Hey, this is what I want to do." You know, I want to assemble this or make this, especially in this day and age. Well, even and then you've got to factor in quality assurance. You've got to factor in whatever requirements and specs. I mean, this goes back to when I was in Phoenix at the uh, UTC aerospace plant back when I was there, I don't even know what it's called now. It's probably has like seven names since I've left. Um, but I mean, they had all automatic procedures and they were, you know, cranking out components for the uh, control system, the engine control systems. And I mean, you can't sit there and just, I mean, they did have soldering stations and they did have people doing that, but the amount of precision that you need 
to, to hit your requirement to have that signed off, especially for something like aerospace. I mean, yeah, it needs to be automated, but you need, you need to have people that understand, you know, that machinery, you know, that's different than somebody that knows how to solder, you know? So I, I just, I just don't know. I think yeah, yeah. there's a lot of opportunity, but at the same time, there's, there's going to need to be like an increase in skilled labor that understands automation technology, but also um, can implement robotics in a way that's meeting requirements, meeting quality, um, and doing all those checks, you know, from a, I mean, you're in, you're in manufacturing, so you understand like defects and things like that, making sure that you're producing good parts, you're doing it consistently, um, you're able to sign off on batches, but you also have the materials to run a batch, you know, because if you, you're missing something mm -hmm. in the middle of production, you're waiting. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity, but I think there needs to be some level of organizing and structuring these plants in a way that you're opening up roles that will directly impact production. Yeah, I definitely think there'll be a, a shift, right, towards all of that, so more eye tests and solder skill tests. I think it's going to be more like controls, backgrounds, you know, understanding how to adjust a controller, understanding how to digitize drawings and getting those into machines and mass production. I mean, I think that's, I think a lot of plants are still like trying to figure that part out. Um, and it takes a long time to go from some old manual process into something that's automated, that's good. And I mean, we've worked on cells where they've spent millions of dollars and the parts still suck, you know, like they, they come out and they're like still garbage and it would have been just faster and quicker and better and uh, more reliable if somebody was just doing it by hand still. So. Well, yeah. And you also have to think about like just the industry itself, right? You mentioned specifically aerospace and typically it tends to be high mix low volume from a perspective compared to say the auto industry. Um, and there is a, the second article is about the auto industry. I don't know if you want to. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into the or... second article. What's the title of that one? Okay. Title of that one is uh, preview 2022 Dodge Challenger soldiers on with minor updates. So for those of you that may also be fellow gear um, specifically the SRT as a, tip, a specific model called the Hellcat. So the Hellcat, for those of you who don't know, is a very high horsepower car right out of the box. You got to see these ten, photos. I, if, you, if you want to just take a few seconds and like click on the show note for the Motor Authority website and look at these photos, this car is pretty cool looking. Yeah, it's, it's got a nice, it's got nice body lines. I mean, the wheels look great from factory. You, you can't really beat that. They do show a a photo of the interior, which has an automatic, which is auto, it's auto tragic, but you know, um, I do believe they sell the manual, but anyways, th this car is insane right out of the box. I mean, you're talking 800 horsepower is, is what the article says. And that's just, that's astronomical for a street car. I mean, you're, you're talking, uh, <laughs> that's less than a 10 second car for sure. If, if you're a good, a good driver, right. Sure. But in short, you, you know, 
if you look at the on the road these days, I mean, you're seeing more and more hybrids, more and more electric cars. You don't see too many V8s with 800 horsepower. So it's, it's kind of the last of a dying breed, if you will. And I think their Dodge has actually publicized that their goal is to, by I think 2024, go fully electric. And for an American car, I mean, you think America, you don't think, oh, they, you know, they're electric, they're, they're conscientious about the environment. Where are we going to get the batteries? Where are we getting that lithium? Where, where are we getting all those raw yeah. components? You know, no, and that's the other side. That. But yeah. yeah. And that, that's the other side of it, right? I, I don't think that enough people understand where all the batteries are coming from. And it kind of proves to my point, which is you can market anything. You can market a bad product or something that's not necessarily the healthiest. But if you market it well enough, it will sell and people will believe it or they will or you make the current state of the current option more expensive and then you offer incentive for this new you know electric vehicle or whatever um i've been seeing they have the the new uh jeep wrangler electric which i don't know how i feel about that if you're like actually using it for off-roading you really want to you really want to off road in an electric vehicle? Um, I don't know. I only say that because I have a Wrangler and it's not electric. But I did see that they are pretty cool looking from an aesthetic standpoint. They look pretty cool. From a technical standpoint, I don't know. I feel like it's conflicting. You know, putting yeah, putting an electric definitely. or a hybrid you know engine into a Wrangler. I, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely think there's some questionability to that one. I mean, even the even the new Mustang, I think, just went through the whole. Uh, I forget what the what Ford calls their electric vehicle fleet, but it doesn't even look like a Mustang, and it probably doesn't even perform like one. I don't know. Are you talking about their SUV that they made with the same Mustang badge? I think. I don't. I don't know if it's their SUV or if it was their their new like. Mustang. I don't know. Like their new, like uh, their new sports car. I, I don't know. I did see something though. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. So if you're going to get, if you're looking to get a sports car and it has an electric engine, I don't know. Does that delegitimize you having a sports car? I don't know. I mean, how would you feel? Well, okay. For, for like this article, how would you feel like if this thing had an electric engine? To me, I mean, electric is not what I, dreamed about as a kid right when i saw fast cars I come saw on you weren't dreaming about like, tesla oh, man, i really wish they hadn't <laughs> no no they're they're dead silent right i mean sure they, they might be fast you get the ones with the dual motors or the bigger battery whatever the case may be but it definitely doesn't have the the same feel to it as i imagine I mean, the the sound of an engine roaring you know and you don't get that you know you get the acceleration sure that's great but to me the other half is, is the sound and also equally important to me is the shifting, right? I've had only one automatic car in the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And it was fun, but it, it felt like it was missing something, right? You know, not having my left foot used to do anything on the track or what have you, just, it was a little bit dull. And I think, I think, you know, it was good in other ways, right? But it still was missing that one thing. I think that'll be the thing for cars too. It's, it's still missing that one. That's that's my personal. Yeah, I mean, I got to get you down here to to teach me how to drive a sure, manual. Well, <laughs> but yeah, 
I may, I may not have a choice. Eventually, I may have you know an automatic car. Eventually, eventually, I may have an electric car or a hybrid. But you know, for right now, I think uh, I'm a pretty big fan of, of diesels, of manuals, and of gas-powered vehicles. So. Now, what if what if your gas-powered car had some of the like the automation features, like the self-driving? I know I, what was it actually? I think it was the Ram that just came out where they have like that hands-free ad where you can sit and just like it'll drive and it'll know like how to change lanes and um, how do you feel about like automation being added into a car? Maybe it still is a gas or diesel. It's not fully electric, but it has more like brains, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, you know, I haven't thought about if like a car I had was to be retrofitted. But personally, I, I find driving to be an experience, you know, and particularly an enjoyable one. So having to take that away would be like, oh man. So you're not you know, a fan I, of I'd the automated to, parallel parking feature on some of the new Buicks? I mean, I don't have to parallel park currently, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in general, I would I would say, you know, even though I commute 40 miles each way to work, I still would question you know, the automated aspect, I don't know, not necessarily just from a safety perspective, just from, just from what I'm used to, at least, I, I think, right. I think to have, if I had the option, you know, could I turn it on or off? Sure, maybe on a long road trip would be great, but I mean, I've done quite a few cross-country trips, and in the last two years, I've done several thousand mile trips like i did one from essentially florida to california california to new hampshire north dakota to california so i've, I've been on a lot of trips and if i were to automate it i don't think it'd be as as memorable because I, I specifically remember certain things like driving through montana without chains and going through a single lane on roads and whatnot so i don't think it would have been as enjoyable you, know, you can't say oh i drove that you know right well, you just have to think about like all the people learning how to drive now versus like when we learned how to drive, a lot of people don't even like know how to use like mirrors or learn how to use anything. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't know how to like back up without the camera, you know? Or so you start introducing all these automated features into vehicles. And then you've got to wonder like, are these people going to actually know how to drive like a car that doesn't have this feature? Or is that like the point? Are we engineering these, are we engineering old skills out of, you know, the system so that new skills replace them? Like, oh, you use your camera, not like your rear view mirror. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways we're, we're losing, um, not what makes us human, but a lot of those like skills, for example, you know, everyone these days, I think, call somebody to go and pick something or, you know, take care of something for them. You know, people don't even go grocery shopping on their own anymore. It's it's changing. Times are changing. You know, I don't want to be one of the naysayers. I don't want to be one of the people who are a shift in the momentum. And I can respect it. It just may not be for everyone. Is, is what I would say. So. Yeah, that's for sure. Start sound like an old timer. Yeah, <laughs> the, at the sake of sounding like someone old. Uh... I don't know. I, there's, there's definitely some technologies I think we could do without, and there's definitely some new, newer technologies that I think we can learn to appreciate, like, especially I'm thinking like some of the smart home and like security kind of side of things, which is kind of good and helpful, you know? Um, 
but yeah, certain, certain things like makes me question, like, are we engineering out some of the key things of like what a person should know how to do? Like when they're driving, like, like they're operating a motor vehicle, like we're basically teaching them to rely on technology instead of like their surroundings and, and actually paying attention, um, to what they're doing. So I don't know, we'll have to see how things pan out in the next few years. Okay, so we yeah, have the- Speak, Speaking of big changes, I was gonna say the last article, you know, is about yeah. meta. So <laughs> How do you feel about article, this? Not quite the metaverse. So let me, let me get through the titles. It's, it's not quite oh. the metaverse, but meta is launching its virtual world. So oh, in, in short, this article essentially talks about, you know, what happening with meta, AKA, previous Facebook and it's quite an um it's quite a marvel if you ask me it's almost it's almost a, a stretch right so essentially from my perspective at least my understanding someone out there can correct me if I'm wrong but it sounds as if we're trying to enhance all the different things that we're doing right now so I went on YouTube and I was trying to understand okay what does Mark Zuckerberg really want to do and essentially his, his first snippet of meta is it's like He's FaceTime family, and then he's he exists as a virtual reality character, right? He's got essentially think like of an emoji, but like as a character in this world. And he's FaceTime family. He's playing games. He's meeting with people online. It's it's an interesting concept, and I guess my thought is that you know it kind of aligns with that momentum shift of everything is changing, right? So it seems as if we're trying to create a virtual reality of Facebook and live. And I think that's that's a unique concept. And I think of anything, the more we become reliant on electronics and technology, the less we're able to actually socialize and, and function in many regards. You know, I, I know we're evolving as, you know, technologically and culturally but it's still it's a big shift you know to say oh we should just meet on vr instead of just meeting persons i have the same perspective you know for remote i'm like certain things you really can't do remote certain things yeah you can, but, uh, you know, it's, i it's i really don't know what they were thinking with this it's it's kind of like if you're not familiar and you haven't seen any of the ads the ads are in my opinion a little creepy um, it's basically like uh, bringing Sims into reality, like the the game Sims. <laughs> it's like you're in there, you have like your own little character, you have like your own little digital outfits, and um, you can kind of be whatever you want to be. And I, I don't know, it's like a, let's meet, you know, in the interwebs of this metaverse and, and conduct day-to-day -day life wearing a head, right? I think you have to wear like a VR headset and you have to, you're, you're like, immersed in this world i don't know it's to me i just think it's one a little bit out of touch with where i think we should be at socially i think it's further deepening us into this whole like zoom took over all of last year and a lot of people are still meeting via zoom and haven't had an in-person meeting in like over a year or haven't done anything like from a work or from a social standpoint they haven't done anything in person so it's like do people know how to socialize in person anymore? Do people how to know? Do people know how to conduct business in person anymore? And this is just further digging us into that hole of uh, let's let's um, be whatever we want to be in this virtual world and 
you know, have all these powers and things that we wouldn't necessarily have in real life and operate, you know, like a video game. And I don't, I don't know. I'm not a video game player. I'm not, I never really got into those. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like if we were to take away real life as it is the real world and have to meet in the metaverse to conduct operations, I think that would be a big adjustment for me personally. Um, as much as I love technology and the advancement of it, I just don't think it's the same. How do you, how yeah. do you have like a real life, you know, in a virtual space? I, I agree with you. You know, I think it already kind of is happening though. If you think about it, like you go out, you go out anywhere, you go to the store, you go to a restaurant, like you see people waiting nine times out of 10, they're probably on their cell phones already, you know? And it, it wouldn't surprise me if soon we see people with virtual reality goggles on public. So well, it reminds me of like I, when, when that Pokemon Go came out, like when was that? Like 2016 or something? People were walking yeah, around yeah. looking for Pokemon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's already happening more than more than we can recognize. And I think at this point, I have to throw the term out there, but you got to think about herd mentality, right? If other people are doing it right, maybe I should do. And I think that's kind of what it's become. Because if, okay, if you're in a room waiting, or if you're like, whatever, wherever you may be, like if you're waiting in line or if you're waiting somewhere and everyone else is on their cell phone, they're clearly not willing to engage you in any conversation whatsoever. First off, if you like engage people in conversation in public these days, they're talking to you, you know, like you don't, you don't make small talk anymore. Nobody, nobody really does. Um, at least from what I observe or what I've seen and it just, it's changed. And so I, I don't know. I don't think there would be much stopping from a lot of these people from doing something like that and joining metaverse being in the metaverse you know i don't know maybe this could be like I don't, that I don't next know. generation of like the internet you know like when the internet came out it was like you you'd, you'd use your dial up and you'd go on for like 10 minutes and it was kind of boring because nothing was there and then now if you think of the internet it's like everything's on the internet and everything is there if you need information you just you know search for it on the internet and you find it and i think we'll probably see something like that maybe re like you know, history repeats, maybe something similar will be like with this metaverse and things are more like, what is it? Three-dimensional, I guess, in a virtual space. Um, I wonder what, what this is going to do to business truthfully. Like, like, am I going to have to have, you know, learn robotics in the metaverse? Like, can I just, am I, is it going to be like a different type of thing or is it, yeah. you know, like a website, you know, cause like, if you don't have a business website now, it's considered like strange, but if you had a business website, you know, in the early two thousands, you were strange, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I don't know. That's true. We'll see. We'll see how that momentum shifts. I think you could buy these glasses now. The quest two. Yep. starts at two ninety nine. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I'm ready to, to, to join that. I think I'm pretty happy with being tied to the MacBook pro that I'm on like you know, 20 hours a day. I don't see, think I need to be walking around wearing glasses too, or goggles or whatever they are. Yeah. I would, I would most likely agree. Awesome. Well, that was the third article. Um, thank you for hopping on this podcast with me and talking a little bit about technology. It's great to have you on and great to catch up. Um, where can people find you online if they want to get in touch with you? Thank you. Oh, that is a very good question. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> 
I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the most public way to contact me. But you know, I might get a, a lot of um, or you get a lot of random messages on LinkedIn. Um, I, you know, I, I like to leave that anonymous for now. I think if they want to comment on the podcast, I definitely check it out and then get back to them. Sure. Yeah. And so if you want to get in touch with Aaron, just let me know, contact me and I'll put you in touch with Aaron. Uh, if you're, I guess if you're starting your engineering kind of career or you're interested in manufacturing engineering, Aaron is a good person to reach out to. He has a lot of experience. We were in rotational programs together. We've kind of seen a lot of different areas of corporate life. Aaron has been in a lot of companies too, with different roles in engineering and leadership and management. So Thank you again for hopping on this podcast. I appreciate your time and we will be in touch. Likewise, it's great to join you. Thank you for having me. That wraps up this episode of Learn Robotics with Liz. If you liked the episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. I'm Liz from Learn Robotics and I'll see you next time. Want to be featured on an upcoming episode of Learn Robotics with Liz? Head on over to anchor.fm slash learnrobotics and upload a message. I'll be picking through my favorite questions, comments, and ideas and featuring them on the show. Again, visit anchor.fm slash learnrobotics and click message to upload your audio question today. And hey, you just might be featured on our next episode.